Welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast, your source for information on hunting, fishing, and all of your outdoor passions. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast. In this segment, we're going to show you a recording of session two of the Virtual Ice series. We were joined again by Jason Mitchell, who was part of the first segment of the Ice series, and also by Sam Sobey. So this is a really interesting segment because Sam and Jason are two very different individuals, but both people that are super, super knowledgeable about fishing and ice fishing and very, very passionate about what they do. What's really cool is Jason and Sam were kind of a yin and a yang because Jason grew up uh, trying to make a name for himself in the industry by guiding and doing a television series, kind of a kind of the old school way. And Sam Sobey is, uh, is a popular YouTuber, using YouTube as a platform to uh, kind of get his name out there and, and really show his passions about fishing and ice fishing and share just share knowledge and, and excitement about fishing to, to the industry and to others. So without further ado, here is our segment of the second night of the Virtual Ice Series with Jason Mitchell and Sam Sobey. Good evening, everyone, and welcome back to the second night of our Virtual Ice Series. Tonight we got Sam Sobey and Jason Mitchell is back again. My name is Ben Fleischacker. Right now, I currently work with Shields, doing the special makeup products. So anything with Shields Outfitter on or Shields, uh, somehow, some way, I've got my hands on it. So we're excited about tonight. We get to kick it off again and kind of dig in a little bit deeper with some of the questions from the audience. Uh, right now, we have an amazing prize package again. We gave away one last night for worth $5,000 of, of clam gear. We've got, I think, if I, if I remember correctly, it's a 600 or XL, three, 600, excuse me, uh, hub shelter. We got rods, reels, parka, bibs. Is phenomenal. So make sure you guys are going to shields.com slash ice series to get registered. And that is the only link that we're going to use tonight for registration. So if we could, let's go ahead and jump in there with Sam. Sam, are you there? Yeah, I'm here, Ben. Here we go. Sam, do you mind giving us a little 411 on your background? Absolutely. First and foremost, thank you so much for having me, you, the rest of the Shields team, and Jason. Um, this is awesome. Obviously, with the year we've had to still kind of put on a virtual ice event like this, um, this is incredible. We can all get together, get pumped about ice fishing. And uh, yeah, so I guess as far as background goes, uh, my name is Sam Sobey. Uh, I'm from the cities, uh, cities, Minnesota, a little, little south of Twin Cities. And um, I grew up loving fishing, uh, grew up playing around with cameras a lot. And one thing led to another. I uh, just, I really got into filming and kind of mixed that with my passion with fishing. And um, yeah, now I'm doing YouTube full time. And uh, I'm, I'm a videographer, I'm an editor, and obviously just I'm addicted to anything in the outdoors. So thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And you're part of the, the Clam Ice team as well, correct? Correct, yeah. Very good. Jason? Yeah, no, I, it's kind of the same story. You know, I was lucky enough to uh, not really know what I wanted to do with my life. <laughs> and so I fished. You know, I mean, I, that's all I did growing up was fish and uh started fishing at a young age, started guiding at a young age. I think by the time I was 22 years old, I was guiding full time. And, and uh, by the time I was 23, 24, you know, we had guys working for us and uh, that just grew. And, you know, I, I guess I was at the right place, at the right time, you know, Devil's Lake, but it just started really blowing up. And then uh, guided for about 15 years, pretty hard on Devil's Lake. And then uh, got the opportunity to get an outdoor television through Tony Dean. I'd filmed quite a few shows with him. He was getting to the point where he wanted to, uh, retire and realign on some different projects and then uh, that's how i got into television originally and then you know, then he passed away unexpectedly but uh now we've been producing television for i think this is our 12th 13th year already and so wow. it's been a been an incredible ride i pinch myself every day so yep i mean there's a grind to it right i mean it's yeah uh, yeah but when you love what you do it doesn't seem like it i mean i i love what i do every day so absolutely that's great and you're again you're a part of the clam ice team Yes. I mean, yes. Yep. Absolutely. Products named after you. So I think that says a lot. Yeah. Well, yeah. We've been working with Clam for over 20 years. So that's incredible. And, and uh, both nights have been put on by Clam. So we want to appreciate and give them thanks for, uh, for hosting you guys as well as giving us a prize package for the audience. So let's go ahead and jump in. We got a bunch of questions already coming in. 
Uh, the first one has been sitting in the queue now for a little bit, and it's from Nathan W. Uh, the question is, once you find a spot to start fishing, how often do you keep moving? Like, what's the point that you guys make the decision to say, okay, hey, this spot's not going to produce or that fish aren't as active right here? When do you guys move? And then how long do you guys recommend sitting at a hole? Well, I can, I can take a stab at it in a disclaimer because I've made the wrong call on that particular decision many times in my life. And it's kind of a deal where, you know, there's an old saying, you don't leave fish to find fish, but at some point you wear out your welcome and you have to. And I think it really depends on the history that you have with that particular spot. For example, if I don't know there's fish in a spot, I'm a little bit more impatient. You know, you want the fish to meet you halfway. And if you're the first lure to drop in on those fish or drop on that spot, if there's fish around, you know, you should know pretty quickly. Now, at the same time, if I go to a spot and I catch a bunch of fish and then I go there the next day and I'm all excited, you know, and it doesn't happen right away, you know, you got to slow yourself down and force yourself to stick it out a little bit because you might have been there at nine o'clock in the morning the day before by the time you found it maybe it was 10 o'clock well then you're there the next day at seven o'clock and sit there and moving around that area and nothing's happening well sometimes it's a timing thing or a window thing too and so you know if i've caught fish just recently and nothing really has changed i'll be a little bit more patient and nine times out of ten that'll pay off but you know i mean it, that's the easiest mistake to make in fishing is to leave when you shouldn't have or to stay too long you know and i guess the easiest answer is when you quit catching fish you leave right it just where's that threshold so mm -hmm. what about your experience sam uh, a lot of what jason's saying um and it, i feel like it, it depends on what you're targeting so say if you're targeting like crappies in a basin in, in the middle of the lake in the deepest part of the lake that might be a time where you're drilling a bunch of holes and you might want to kind of move and groove and if you're not marking anything keep moving but if you're targeting like walleyes on a rock point or big gills by some weeds uh you might want to stick it out if you know it's a high percentage and and back to what jason said if you've never fished the water before i'm, I'm a little bit more eager to move but if you know fish are there and you know it's kind of a a, a high ticket area where they kind of run through mm -hmm. then, then i'll definitely stay and stick it out all right and even kind of going into that you know talking about the water um, obviously it's going to be hard water, but you can't necessarily always see the bottom. You can't see, I mean, you're drilling the holes, you're looking at lake maps on your guys' phones. I mean, what do you guys personally use and what have you seen in the, you know, that's cost effective for a general person to, to be able to afford? Either Go way. ahead, Sam. Sure. So something that's super cost effective that I use right away, especially if I'm fishing a brand new lake is just on your smartphone, Google maps and, and Google earth. That's, that gives me a good lay of the land on kind of how the lake sets up because there's a lot of good images like you can see parts of the lake where it looks like it's a little bit shallower, there's more weeds, and then you can see parts of the lake where, oh, it looks like it's steep, it drops off. So depending on what you want to target or, or if you want to fish shallow in the weeds or if you don't want to fish shallow in the weeds, Google Earth can, can kind of give you a good starting point where you can kind of poke around. Yeah, you know the Navionics app, what is that, 10, 15 bucks now? It has just about every lake under the sun. And you know the lakes the, the maps are are a good starting point it's a good reference are they perfect no i mean some of the maps are off some if you want a really really detailed map uh the lake master also has an app but you have to buy each lake individually and they're about 30 bucks uh, a lake but if there's like a lake like say malax or winnebagosh devil's lake whatever and you know you're going to fish it a lot it's almost worthwhile uh to have that and i still like to have a, a big standalone gps unit on the dash of my pickup or my snowmobile whatever i'm driving that way I can transport waypoints from the summer. I can I can log uh, my plot trail for getting on and off the ice and getting around pressures and things like that. So I have that information. And it, to me, it's just more useful because with a smartphone, again, you know, you're trying to drive across the lake. You know, you got your snowmobile helmet on. You're trying to look at your phone and trying to do that with your mittens on. It ain't happening. And so, uh, you know, that's why I, you know I don't run touch screens in the winter time is because when you're wearing mittens and you get frost on the screen or whatever, they're worthless. But just a just even even a five seven inch screen you know you pull it out of your boat uh, just buy a cigarette plug-in adapter and a ram mount or whatever you want to do so that way you can swap it over to whatever your transport vehicle is on the ice and that makes a big difference in my life yep and even kind of piggybacking off that last night you had mentioned about hard wiring into a unit versus a dc yeah absolutely. that's what i like machine. to do yeah because you're bouncing across the lake and all of a sudden your gps goes out and you're like oh you know, then you got to plug it back in, power it back up, wait to find a signal. And so, yeah, but I mean, that's, but if you're in a pickup, especially, yep. uh, you know, the cigarette lighters are, you know, that, that'll work fine. Absolutely. You know, so, absolutely. Very good. All right. Next question is, what is a good line to use on tip-ups for pike? 
I use the heaviest line I can. I'm like a caveman. I mean, 40, 60 pound Dacron, the bigger, the better. <laughs> Same here. Bigger, the better. It seems like fill that sucker full because it seems like when they got it, just they run so yeah. hard. And it pull it rolls off the spool better too. when it's thick, you know, versus like, say like a 10 pound or something that bites into itself. And yeah, big, thick, heavy line. And what I've started doing a lot the last few years running a fluorocarbon leader, you know, you can run up, say a three, four foot fluorocarbon leader, let's say 40 pound fluorocarbon. You can tie it yourself, put a couple of treble hooks on. And, uh, that's been the best thing that I found on a lot of lakes. Very good. So with the, um, the last several years, you know, the, the drills, you know, the ice augers, I should say, they've changed, you know, from, from the hand augers, the gas power to the propane, to the electric. And now we've got the option of using a hand drill, you know, with the K drill or the pistol bit, whatever it might be. Um, what drill do you guys use? You know, are you... I'm a K, I'm a K drill guy myself. Okay. What, and what about the hand drill too? I'm sorry. I didn't word that correct. As far as for like a hand auger. Yeah. So like, are you using like a DeWalt impact or? Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm using a DeWalt. I've used old Milwaukee too. The biggest thing is that it has to be brushless. Okay. It's gotta be a brushless drill in order for it to work. And you're still, I mean, I've had some drills where, I mean, I've had, you know, two or three hard winters on them. You can start feeling them get hot, <laughs> you know, I mean, mm -hmm. you'll wear them out, but you know, it's still, it's so lightweight and so fast and so easy that, uh, it's, uh, especially for a six inch flighting, it's just, it's the ticket. Yep. I run K drill as well. And I have a Milwaukee drill. I I've, I've run DeWalt too, and it seems like they work well, but it just seems like I've, I've got nothing against gas hawkers, but as far as like, it's, it's lighter. It doesn't smoke out your permanent shack. If you do a lot of fishing in your permanent shack, it just, it's really the future and kind of where all ice augers are going. And, and if you have any stipulations against them, I definitely, I'd tell you to try one out because they're pretty slick. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I guess too, you know, like when I'm by myself, you know, I can get by drilling 30 holes a day. You know, it depends how thick the ice is. Like if I have to drill holes for myself and four or five people and I'm not on fish and I know it's going to be a long day, uh, there's still nothing that'll beat a two stroke gas auger. If you need to drill, say, 150 holes through, you know, 30 inches of ice or more, you know, and even when we get up into, you know, Northern Canada, you know, even like on Lake Winnipeg sometimes, or when we're lake trout fishing, so turning a 10 inch flooding, obviously, you know, gas is still king. So, I, you know, gas augers aren't obsolete by any means. It just depends on the application, but for a four inch or a six inch flighting, uh, which is all you need for panfish, especially, I even mm -hmm. use a six inch flighting a lot for walleye fishing, you know, at least on inland water. I mean, it's, 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 it's incredibly light and fast. And then like with the cage drill, you know, that's a carbide chipper blade. And so, you know, you can just, if you hit sand, if you hit some weeds and hit stuff that would just ruin, you know, a lot of blades that are, uh, that, you know, warped or, or have the serrated uh, curved edge, you know, you can just keep cutting, you know, and then they got lifetime warranty on them too. So they get to all send them in. So it's really a win-win a for the consumers. Absolutely. That's great. One uh, thing I want to say Yep. blade too it's really cool is is if you fish in a permanent shack and you go out there and maybe you're out there one weekend and you drill your holes and then you go back out there next weekend and you're re-drilling your same holes the chipper blade just shoots right through and I, as far as like if you fish in a obviously if you fish in a portable they're awesome but if you fish in a permanent shack and you're re-drilling your same holes over and over and again it seems like the chipper blade is just it's really good it's slick that much quicker yeah. And it just, it goes through, there's, it doesn't like catch on the side or the old edges where you drilled your other holes. It just boom, burns right through. Very nice. So let's talk weather patterns. You know, we got early season, mid season, late season. Are you guys taking a look at the weather patterns just as much as you do in the spring, summer, fall in the winter time? I don't cause I got to fish anyways. You know, I mean, that's my, t I mean, when I was guiding every day, it's like, you know, people like you pay attention to solar charts. I'm like, well, I know it makes a difference. Like I know, like daytime, our daytime walleye fishing gets harder during a full moon period, but I got to fish regardless, yep. you know, and I'm kind of the attitude of, if it's going to be a tough day, I don't want to psych myself out and get in a bad mood at five in the morning when I'm getting my bait and stuff put together, you know, so I, I don't probably follow it as much as a lot of people do. I just, I just fish, you know, and I guess if I don't do have a good day, then I can blame it on that, you know, <laughs> but you know, I mean, there's a lot of times where fish shouldn't bite and they do, you know, so. I followed a little bit and it depends if like, if I'm just going fishing with buddies, no big deal. But if I am like giant hunting, whether that be for like a big crappie or a big walleye, I will pay attention to see like if there's a pressure system moving in or if there's a big front moving in, there's low pressure. It's those are just higher percentage times where you can catch a big fish. So yeah, I, I pay attention to it a little bit and it seems like they somewhat correlate. I think. Yeah. And one thing though, too, that's really important. I think ice fishing way more than what people 
ever talk about, at least I hear talk about, is majors and minors with ice fishing are huge. Okay. And if, say, if you have a, a major at, say, 9, 10 o'clock in the morning, which is maybe an hour and a half, two hours after sunrise, that can really whack out your morning walleye bite, for example, where you're anticipating everything happening right at sunrise and it's like nothing, then all of a sudden it's like way late and they, they start to roll. And I think what it is is with the major and minors, it is pulls a lot of current in a lake. Like even when you're using a, a bobber in a hole, the bobber is always going to one side a lot of times. There's, there's a lot more current on a lake, you know, than, than what a lot of people would envision. And I think and you see it on rivers too, you know, you get, uh, you know, like, especially like in tail race areas and stuff where you get that current and you get that inflow and that bump in water, everything happens. Like those aggressive fish come up into that current. And I think the same thing happens on lakes too. And so that's one thing I look at is major and minor. And I try to line up where I'm on my, what I feel are my best spots at that time. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Totally agree. Especially for walleye and especially for pike, it seems like major and minors are a big player. Yeah. Very good. All right, so, you know, with the industry right now, it's just has been blowing up. You know, 2020 has been a wild year, but one thing we've seen is the massive recruitment of new and existing, you know, people that may have put the fishing rods down, but they're getting them back out again. Um, it's incredible the number of fishing lights that are being sold across the country. So with that being said, there's going to be a lot of people out there that are brand new coming out to ice fish. What's kind of a generalized uh, depth that people should be looking at? You know, no electronics and auger. We're talking basics. Or just getting into it i mean are they going to need to walk all the way out to the middle of the lake or they should be looking for that five to eight foot of water you know looking at a topographical map i know this is a generalized question every lake's different but what's a good depth for someone to be looking at you know in my mind as shallow as you can i mean it, you know it makes it easy because i get that question a lot like mm-hmm. see you know, I, I don't have any electronics or i'm just getting into it and then whether you're in, say, Fergus Falls, Minnesota, and you can go out on a small panfish lake and get out and where you can see weeds frozen in the ice, get on the outside edge and drill some holes, and you can still see, see down and say 10 feet of water, you can watch fish come in, that's addicting, and that'll get you hooked, and, that'll, and, you, mm-hmm. and you'll have some success. You're going to catch something. You're going to have a bent rod. If you could be in uh, Madison, Wisconsin, and fish the Madison chain where, you're, where it's all five, six feet of water or less, you know, in weeds, you know, in you know, you're, you're fishing around weeds, shallow water, but I would say shallow water or weeds are probably the easiest way to just get on something that bites, whether it's a pike, a bass, panfish, whether bluegills, crappies, and uh, it's easy to find. And a lot of times shallow water is close to shore, you know, mm-hmm. so that's, you know, just to dumb it down and make it simple. I mean, which, I mean, you know, that's something we follow a lot too. You know, we're in doubt. We, you know, go back to the basics. You never, you know, no matter how much you fish, you always keep going back to the basics at times. So, yep. I totally agree with that. And I know it sounds bad, but sometimes it doesn't hurt to follow the pack. So if it seems like a lot of guys are walking out to the middle of the lake, hey, maybe try it out there. If it seems like a lot of guys are sticking shallow, stick shallow. There's, You can't go wrong if you go out to an area, drill a hole, and you put your bait a foot off the bottom. It seems like you're going to get bit. Yeah. Very good. Blow baits. You guys use them? Is there a time not to use them? When's the best time to use them? Are you talking like glow paint or the actual glow uh, phosphorus and chemical stuff? Uh, I would imagine they're glow paint. Glow paint, yeah. I use glow paint, low light, after dark, especially after dark walleyes and after dark eel powders really when you see it, uh, big time. I 100% agree. I'm like, I'm very superstitious. It seems like even just for crappies, it's got to be glowed up. It's got to be ripping. And it seems like as soon as that, as soon as that water gets dark and, and especially in like a a clearer or a muddier lake. Um, I, I use glow jigs all the time, especially for crappies and walleyes. Do you guys use them during the daytime at all? Yeah, they're still tied on. I don't worry about charging them as much, you know, but after dark, I mean, you'll see it. I mean, well, you hit it with the glow and put it down there. You can just see it glowing on the way down. As soon as it gets down to the left, you know, I mean, the fish just show up and, and then the glow wears off and you hit it again. I mean, so there's definitely something to it, you know, after dark, especially you'll see where it, you can see it makes a difference. So, yeah. A cool sure. little product. I don't know how long they've been out, but um, Vexlar makes it. But you you could put it on any unit that you run. Is they make a little glow ring, yep. and it's just a bunch of UV lights, and it's it's way better than fiddling with your phone or a flashlight to try to glow up your jig. It's like it's right on your unit. You just boom, dip it in there. It's glowed up with UV light. Boom, back down. You're all bright. Is there a way to find weed edges with a Vexlar? Absolutely. Um, easiest way is you drill a hole and. 
you know, you've got the bottom, which is going to be a lot better signal than what weeds will give you. And a lot of times I like to turn my gain down, but, you know, you're going to just get these choppy lines that are just, you know, intermittent up in the water column. And say they stop five feet below the ice, maybe they come all the way up to the ice. But, yeah, you'll definitely see weeds on your Vexilar. By yeah, adjusting the gain. Yeah, in, in the fish weeds, you know, tune down your gain. I mean, if you're using a 28 or even the new broadband FL30, you can tune your gain way down. Or there's a weed mode you can actually use. Um, the 18s, there's a low power mode. Uh, use low power and try to get that weed signal as weak as you can. So that way you can see fish moving up and down through the weeds. And you can see your lure in the gaps in the weeds a lot easier. But, uh, you know, there's a couple different strategies. You know, you fish above the weeds and get the fish to come up. Or you can go down in the weeds and, uh, you know, and fish those open gaps, you know. But, yeah, I mean, you can definitely use your Vexlar as a very useful tool. So how do you find the open gaps? Drilling holes? Well, I'm talking the gaps between the canopy and the roots and the canopy oh. and the, and the, you know, I mean, you find gaps that yep. way where you can actually punch through the top canopy and get in those gaps. You know, it's just like punching a jig on a mat for bass, you know, or, you know, obviously then there's gaps in the weeds, there's lanes in the weeds that, you know, where you have weeds that maybe reach all the way to the bottom of the ice and then three feet away, you've got this hole or bowl. And what's cool about it is when you find those spots, you pluck a few fish out of there and then they just recharge with new fish. It's just, you know, those spots are magnets. Yeah, absolutely. Very good. And one thing I want to say about that is um, I actually saw this from watching Jason's show back in the day. So when you're fishing like a basin with crappies, this is the first time I saw this. Jason would put his transducer down and he'd swing it around his hole and he's looking for fish. And you can kind of do the same thing when you're fishing weed lines, just like you're talking about is if you feel like you're on the edge of those weeds, you can put your Vexlar transducer down and kind of swing that because it kind of shoots that sonar out to the left and right. And if you're getting a flicker of the weeds, then you can really try to dial yourself in to be right on the weed edge. That's pretty cool. Very good. When is the right time to be using braided line, fluorocarbon, or mono? Do you guys have anything specific, or do you guys run liters of fluorocarbon for most everything? Well, I use a lot of fluorocarbon if I'm using two pound or less, especially in, like, say, bulrushes and weeds. Uh, fluorocarbon is just tougher. I use a lot of mono. You know, I also use a lot of three-pound mono, especially for crappies. Uh, there's times if I'm fishing for big, big panfish or big crappies or even deep water perch where um, I'm using, say, like a small spoon or a small glide bait for panfish, where I'll use like a four-pound frost braid. Uh, I use I use braid for walleyes all the time. When I'm jigging for walleyes almost all the time, I'm using braid, like a 10 or 8-pound braid. A lot of times I'm using a fluorocarbon leader. Um, on Devil's Lake and some place where you have steam water, you don't always have to have a leader, but I find that the fluorocarbon leader makes it more pike-proof, if nothing else. But I will say that, like, you know, you get, like, up in, like, even, like, Leech Lake and Winnie and stuff where you have pretty good water visibility. Uh, there's times where I'll just catch more fish with model, you know, if the water's really clear. Great lakes are the same way. I mean, I, you know, I'm almost always using braid, or I'm sorry, almost using monofilament out there as well. Uh, when you get zebra mussels, even uh, uh, Malaxis has changed, you know, where, you know, you, you almost have to use a, a fluorocarbon leader. And the longer the leader, the better. And I'll even, I like to use high-vis braid, but I'll take a Sharpie and just blacken off that top, you know, or the bottom, say, two, three, four feet of that braid. Just, I find that it, makes it blend in even better than when it's just bright yellow or, or like a crystal or white color. You know, it really stands out underwater. So. Yep. Do you guys do a lot of line watching? At times. More so for panfish, bluegills especially. You know, crappies with an upbite, you know, that's an obvious line watch, you know. But, uh, yeah, absolutely. What I like to do, too, is uh, take like a high-vis line, and I'll just kink the line in my finger. I'll kink it through my finger, my thumb, especially like with a, see, like a three-pound test, and I'll get a kink in it so it's like this, Okay. And then when I'm jigging, if it goes like this or take or go straight, I can really detect a lot lighter bites and I can pick up on a spring bumper. Wow. And if it's really windy and nasty, I'll do it where it's below the water in the hole and I'll be looking down the hole watching the line down there. But I'll, I'll catch fish doing that when it's really, really hard to pick up bites anywhere else. And that'll save my tail many times. Hmm. Brilliant. Same deal with the line thing. Um, I, I use a lot of fluorocarbon, but obviously you have a lot more sensitivity with braid and it seems like if I'm fishing in a house more, I, I like to run braid to floral, but if I'm fishing outside, it seems like there's so much buildup on the braid that sometimes it could be unmanageable if it's really cold. So I, I run a lot of fluorocarbon, but if you do fish inside and you can run a braid to floral leader, it's, it's yeah. really. See, I run a braid. Out. I'm, I'm exact opposite. I run braid outside because what I find is if it's say 20 below zero, 
and my hole is getting smaller by the minute, yeah. um, you know, and it freezes to the side of the hole or there's slush in the hole and it's just always freezing to something as I can be a lot rougher with it. And I can take a chop or a mitten and just shred that ice off. Whereas when that happens with monofilm and I almost have to suck the ice off with my mouth because if I slide it, it just slides down the line. Pretty soon I got this big icicle below the water, mm-hmm. you know, on my line. And so it just keeps collecting and collecting. And so with braid is I can shred it. Just I just, you know, I just put my hand on the spool so the drag doesn't slip. And especially with one of walleye fishing or even perch fishing, crappie fishing side is the worse it gets, the more I love braid because I, you know, two, three pound mono is really tough to deal with when it's below zero. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, he, he sticks to the hole and you try to pop it free and <laughs> you got to retie, you know, and so that's, that's the tough part. So this yep. depends on how bad the conditions are. So everything freezes up when it's that cold. So I find the braids a lot easier to deal with. So Very good. For hey. outside fishing, um, I don't know how many years they've been around. There's this cool product. I just saw it in Shields the other day. Uh, it's called Ice Defense. Yeah, you can put it right in your hole and it literally takes the water, which is a lot warmer than the top of the bottle of water, and it pulls that warmer water up and it kind of circulates all that water. It's different than if you were to put just like an aerator or bubbler in it and it keeps your hole wide open. And, and I got a chance to play with that a little bit last year. And, and that's like game changer. Yeah, I've been using that, too. I like it a lot. You still get ice on your line, but it's yeah, yeah it, it holds open all day. So, yeah, very cool. Hey, Sam, when you're out night fishing. What are some of the things that you kind of focus in on? You know, what are some tips that you can give a person that just no clue? Oh man. Well, first off the glow jig, definitely. And I don't know why it seems like night fishing. You're more, it's easier to just kind of flip up a shack, put a heater up and sit right there. But I'd tell you definitely whole hop at night. Definitely whole hop at night. It doesn't matter if you, if you're sitting for walleyes on like a big rock point or if you're fishing a weed edge, like, Definitely consider hole hopping, even though it's a little bit colder and it's a little bit harder to get out of the shack. Mm-hmm. Night fishing can be an awesome opportunity to catch fish that don't come out during the day and, and some really big fish too. So with your the the ice jig or glide jig or whatever you guys are, are fishing, rattle bait, what do you look for at night then? I mean, are you looking for something that's going to be more subtle, something that's going to put out some vibration, noise? It, it all like, it depends upon, I feel like if it's a muddy body of water i want a little bit bigger profile jig something that glows a lot but if it's a really clear body of water then i'll kind of i'll tone it back i'll get really finesse and um, I'll, I'll take plastics i'll cut them up i'll glow the plastics just it seems like just play with your bait size if it seems like you're getting marks that come in or if you're getting fish that aren't willing to eat yeah i think by a large tree you can fish a lot higher than water call you know say if you're walleye fishing in 10 15 feet of water you're catching fish a foot, two feet off the bottom during the day at night. Don't be afraid to move it up four, six, seven feet off the bottom. That's just those fish are cruising. They're moving and that, that gets silhouetted. I think they can see it further away mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, glow colors, you know, and sometimes dark colors could be the ticket too. You know, there's, you never say always or never with fishing, but, um, yeah. And a lot of times you can get away with a lot bigger profiles too, at least one size or two size up from what you're fishing with during the day. Very good. All right, so here's a uh, more aspirational question for you guys versus technique specific. But if you could, um, if you guys could go anywhere you wanted to in the world for one ice fishing trip, the legendary epic trip, just can only do it once. Where would you guys go? I got my plan, <laughs> so I got to I got I got to figure it out to take a helicopter in Alaska. I want to catch one of those she fish, which is the biggest member of the whitefish family. I want to take a helicopter into some lakes where you can catch them, land the helicopter on the ice and just tell the helicopter to pick us up in three or four days. And, you know, hopefully we've caught a she fish by then, but that's one of the things that I've been scheming and planning the last couple of years. So. That's pretty cool. Sam, That's an awesome, that's an awesome bucket list trip. Uh, I don't, I don't have anything narrowed down right away. I would like, I'd like to explore different areas of the ice belt that I feel like aren't talked about much. And there's like a lot of Southern states that have awesome opportunities, but if there was like one trip and one place I had to go is I'd like to explore more way up North and into Canada or even Northern Minnesota too. just do more lake trout fishing. And I know Jason's done a bunch of them that it just, they fight so hard and I've caught them through the ice too, but just like a real big giant dinosaur lake trout. That's, that's something I'd love to get my hands on. Yeah. That's, that's as good as it gets there. I love Very good. All right. So advanced, so not 101 Vexlar, but how about like 301 level Vexlar? What do you guys see novice people miss on that screen, on that flasher that you pick up? 
in my mind, it's the body position and posture of the fish. Uh, you know, so a fish comes in, and you can walk, really learn a lot by sight fishing and watching on a camera where a fish will come in, and you can almost tell by their body posture that they're not going to bite or they don't like what you're doing. You know, their fins will be really tight to their body first up. And when they get interested, their fins pop out and their gills pop out and they just change their posture. I mean, you can see it, physically see it. And a camera or sight fishing is a, is a good tool to teach you that. But when you get that, that change in posture, that's important. And you can pick that up, you can pick up that movement on that, on that Vexlar signal so much better where every flash or every unit, every LCD will show you a line indicating your lure and a line indicating the fish. But when you've got a fish nose to nose, you're just doing these small little moves, trying to figure out, okay, is it a slow lift? Do I bubble, bubble, and then lift? Okay, maybe I do a little quicker and see if I get a response. And when, you, when you're doing something, all of a sudden you just get that, that signal's in the same spot, but it flutters. That fish is almost like, a, especially with wall, he's gonna almost feel like they're cocking themselves to hit it. And that is such invaluable information, is look for that flutter in the signal. And to take it a step farther, you know, say like you're fishing for deep perch on, in Devil's Lake and say 40 feet of water. And at that point, you know, you might have a cone angle that might be six feet across, okay? And when the fish are getting out on the edge of that cone angle and coming in or ignoring you, you know, say you might be doing some really high rips to try to pull fish in from say 10, 20, 30 feet away, and you're not gonna catch them doing that if they get closer. So you have to know right away to change it up. And it's almost like I compare it to like, if you're a waterfall hunter, like say a highball call or flagging for Canada geese where you're not going to be pounding on that flag right when those geese are lined up on the deck swinging their heads back and forth right you're just going to be you know you're just going to be you know just almost a rumbling low rumble in the call just to you know just to lay those geese down and in the same thing with fishing and so you can see that bottom move you, know, you can look for fish in the bottom or off the way up on the edge of the cone angle by looking for that movement in the bottom and that's why I think uh, so many anglers love using Vexler because you get such raw, better information. You know, when you digitize a signal, like in a boat, you know, uh, that digitized signal is an advantage because the boat's moving and you need something, to, some type of a filter, some type of a, uh, something to distort that signal so that you can get an arc, so you can get a nice clean bottom. But in the wintertime with everything being stationary, it's nice to have that raw, that raw signal. And so that to me is learning how to interpret that signal and spending the time see what you know really know what you're looking at that's to me that's the key that's what takes it to a whole other levels when you get to that point 100 percent mood 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 and that's the cool thing with the vexlers it's so fast like it goes down there and, and and hits that signal and you read it so fast it's like just like jason was saying you can totally tell the mood of the fish and that's like that tells you everything if you're being too fast with your cadence if you're being too slow if you're not being aggressive enough is just like jason said there's a mark that being your bait and then another mark coming in that being your fish but there's so much more you can read in there and that and that's just like spending more time on the water spending more time with your vexlar is, is you can really tell is that fish hot or is it just a fish mm-hmm. and if you got that fish hot with your cadence it's it's game over boom yep. you yeah got it. a lot of times if you know it's a big fish you fish for it completely different than if it's just a run-of-the-mill fish you know the big fish like to chase it you know so all of a sudden a big mark shows up you know, you're going to fish for it completely different than say the last three fish that came in before that were, you know, say medium size or small, you know, big fish. It seems like they like it. They like that bait getting pulled away. They like to chase and they want to gun it down and eat it, you know? And so, uh, yeah, I mean, the information that you get, uh, from what you see on a Vexlar is, is so invaluable. I can't stress that enough. Can you catch fish about it? Absolutely. And we caught fish for years. I remember, you know, even like the very first uh, flasher I ever had for ice fish, I remember reading about Dave Gens and I had an old Hummingbird Super 60 and I motored a wood box with a motorcycle battery. And it was, I mean, just, it was terrible compared, you know, but, you know, had to try it. And then, and then the, you know, the Hondexes and the, and the old Vexlar FL8s came on and started using those. And at that time, that was the biggest thing. And then when the 18 came out and we had Zoom for the first time, we went, oh my goodness. I mean, you know, all these different progressions, but, you know, it's funny. There's people running around with Vexlers that are 20, 25 years old and they're still going strong. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Yep. All right. Again, for the audience out there, make sure you're going to shields.com slash ice series. Make sure you get registered for tonight's event for the price package. All right. Next question is inline versus spinning for the reels. When do you guys like them? When do you not like them? Where to the start, Sam. Sure. Um, so I use both. 
and I love my inline reels. I have like, I probably have eight <clears throat> inline reels, these like clam spooler elites that I've had for, I don't know, six years and they haven't broke on me and I'm, I'm pretty hard on my gear. If I'm fishing shallow water, especially panfish, I love the inline reels because there's, there's no click open the bail type deal. It's just, you rip that out really quick. Your line doesn't get full of memory. It doesn't spin around and stuff like that. So it's, if you're fishing shallow panfish, inline reels hundred percent, but if you're fishing deep walleye, deep lake trout, it's nice to flip that bail open and it goes all the way down. And then you have a better drag system with spinning reels too. So uh, it's just, it's about what you're fishing for and kind of how you're fishing, but yeah. I, I use both hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, both have an application. I, in my mind, the inline reels are really shiny. You know, obviously, two, three, one-pound test on really, really tough bites where you almost have to dead stick and hardly do anything with the, with the rod. And, uh, you, you know, I still think that a lot of people would probably catch more fish with a spinning reel because consider this, you know, a lot of times your fish come in windmills where 90% of your fish are caught in 10% windmills. And it's a matter of getting up and down as fast as you can. I still feel like I can do that a lot quicker with a spinning reel. Walleye fishing, spinning reel all the way. Um, in some ways, there's a lot of bad information out there in my mind because every reel is going to develop line twist. Okay, the fact that an inline reel doesn't ever twist up or spin the line is a fallacy. I think what you have to look at it as is it's a line management system. Okay, where when you put new line on a spinning reel, and I and I pound that jig pretty aggressively and pretty hard. Okay, and when you're reeling up a bluegill, it fights in a circle every time you reel it up. You're building up twist in the line, but on a spinning reel, you might get say two three days out of your line. And you know your line at that point is junk. It starts to wrap up on the tip from the twist. Uh, when you put your jig in the water, you have a really fast spin. Okay, your line is jacked up, and the only way to take that, the only way to catch fish at that point is a really hard quiver or in really aggressive pounding movements. Okay, and when you can't catch fish on that, you're you know there's nothing else you can do because if you slow down and try to bob it, that that twist is going to you just don't catch. They don't bite that. Okay, and on an inline reel or a spooler type reel. Instead of getting, say, two to three days out of line before you have to change it, you might get, say, five days. It just extends the lifespan of that line before it is so twisted up that it isn't catching fish anymore. And I tell you what, I've been on the road before where, say, I've been fishing hard for four or five days and haven't had a chance to change line. And I get to a new lake. And if it's a tougher line, like, you know, I'm struggling that day, and I know exactly why. I get back to the hotel room and change line, and I come back out the next day and catch fish with everybody else. I mean, that line, especially with panfish, you know, it's, it is such an integral part of the presentation. It's usually the most important part of your presentation is what you can do with that jig on really soft, slow movements where you're not twisting. A half turn's okay, okay? But when it's when it starts to helicopter and spin, you're done, you know? And so um, that's the way to look at inline versus spinning. Spinning really got better drag, up and down faster. Walleye fishing, you don't even, you know, and especially lake trout fishing, you'd be like showing up to a gunfight with a knife. I mean, you get laughed at if you showed up up in Man northern Manitoba with an inline, you know. I mean, you know, not even go, you know. But uh, uh, but for panfish, finesse panfish applications, you know, definitely a tool. Now, is there a way, once you do get that line twist, you know, and say you're committed to wherever you're at, is there a way on the ice? I know there is open water. You can clear out your bail and. You know, let the line yeah. out real. Yeah, I mean, I dragged but... it behind the, on the snow walking or behind my snowmobile. But, you know, you're dealing with two-pound test, and so it's pretty tough on it, you know, and you can run it through your fingers and get some of the twist up. What I find is once it gets twisted up, replace it, you know, and that's the thing is don't go anywhere. Don't, you know, try to try not to get anywhere where you don't have some extra spools. Like, line is cheap. You know, you look at everything that costs into fishing. Line is cheap, you mm -hmm. know, and uh, you don't have to replace the whole spool, you know, just peel off 30 feet and put on a new 50, you know, 50 feet, a new line and, and you're good to go. You know, you don't have to replace the whole spool, but just replace enough to where, you, you know, your presentation is, is good again. So very good. Hey, one, Sam. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Sam. I was just going to say one cool tip I do when I put on line, doesn't matter if it's a spinning rod or a spooler is, is if, I, if I have a new package of line, sometimes I'll fill up the bathroom sink with like really hot water and I'll put my spool right in there and I'll get it like fully submerged and soaked and it just makes it it doesn't need to be like you know boiling or anything but just some hot water gets a little more supple and then i'll spool my line on with that and it seems like it, it comes out no line twist. yeah and make sure it comes off the spool right if it's twisting up when you're reeling in keep flipping that spool until you get rid of that because otherwise you're going to start out twisted bad line. Yep. so make sure that when you're spooling it on it it comes on onto the ice spool right so very good all right, so Jason, we talked yesterday very briefly with Matt on the phone about doing some uh, some catfishes with the ice. I'm going to pick on Sam here. 
and see if uh, Mr. Sobey has done any catfishing through the ice. We know Jason does, but you got any tips and tricks about that? And what would you recommend for a rod and reel system for that? Dude, I have. I've done catfishing through the ice. So when I first went to college in Stevens Point, there's just like the big Wisconsin River there. And we got into some good catfish. Uh, you can get into catfish all over on the river if there's safe ice. But right by dams, right by dams were super good. And we basically just take a, a decent jigging spoon. Doesn't matter what size it seems like. Load it as full as you can with minnow heads and just pound the bottom. And uh, that's where we first caught catfish. And then last winter, I had the opportunity to go with Matt and kind of chase around some of his pet catfish. And they're just, they're loaded there. We drop down cameras there. And, and that's one cool thing is to see how catfish actually eat is way different than you'd think so and it seems like some of these fish would go completely vertical and then they come up and smoke it and it's it's crazy they're awesome fighting fish what rod reel combo did you use oh man i you can use a variety of stuff i think i used like i was using like a a 2b um soft touch at the time it was it was kind of like a shorter walleye rod just just any short medium medium action rod and i think i was using think six pound braid to like a, a six pound fluorocarbon leader to be honest it seems like if those cats wanted to eat they would roll right in and they just smoke it Doesn't and if matter. they didn't want to eat they'd come sniff around i feel like with their whiskers and stuff they're so much more keyed in on the scent of the bait where like it doesn't matter what you're using as long as you had a bunch of bait on your on your spoon you'd be good to go yep all right so back to uh some more aspirational i guess this isn't hopefully an aspirational deal, but what are you guys' funniest stories you got from the ice? One story, each person. I'm queuing Jason up right here. I'm queuing Jason up right here. This is, this is not even an on-the-ice story. I, if you want to tell it, you don't have to tell it, but if you want to tell it, I think it's a pretty good story. Uh, I might as well. I've been, I've, keep asking. This is a good one. So I was in college at the time, and uh, – uh, I was kind of actually on my way out of college because I didn't go to college after that and my grades weren't very good and stuff. But anyways, I, um, I was fishing all the time. And I mean, I had my ice auger in my dorm room and just fishing, fishing, fishing. And, um, and just, you know, hunting. And that's, that was kind of my problem was I fished and hunted too much and never got good grades or, or anything. Well, what happened was I was pheasant hunting in the fall. It was about this time of year. It was really cold. I was like, 20, 30 below, and I fell through the ice on a creek because there's a bunch of pheasants in this creek bottom, and the, the ice on the creek was the quietest way to get in on these pheasants. They're really wild, and I fell through the ice, and it was really cold, and by the time I could get back to the truck, I mean, my my coveralls were frozen and stiff, and I couldn't get my keys out of my pocket. I had to, like, grab them between my thumbs and turn the, you know, get the door unlocked and get the pickup running, and that was before cell phones or anything, so it's pretty stupid, really, but... Uh, I, uh, I mean, I was just cold and I remember just rocking in my pickup with my hands underneath my armpits, just shivering and finally drove back to the dorm and, uh, laying in bed. It felt like there was somebody like hooking up electrical jumpers on my feet. Like my legs are just stick almost straight up. I mean, it hurt so bad. And then, and I took a couple of warm showers and, and then after that, my feet swelled up and, you know, it hurt to put my shoes on. And then, um, then the swelling went away. And I was pricking my, you know, taking like, you know, just kind of bumping my feet, wiggling my toes and stuff and everything seemed okay. But my, I noticed that my toenails turned black and purple. Okay. And <laughs> so I never, you know, I mean, I wear socks and I was like, no, you have noticed or nothing. So no big deal. Well then I don't know, like, you know, the following spring then, I don't know how I got in on this deal because I was never in class. I wasn't really part of the gang, but the class went on a, couple of classes went on a, like a spring break trip thing to Minneapolis. Okay. Well, I, I mean, I didn't even know half the people in my class and I end up going on this trip, you know, that's kind of how I was in college. If it was fun, I was there. If there was work, I wasn't. Okay. And so I'm on this trip and we're in a hotel somewhere over in Minneapolis and I'm sitting in a hot tub and, you know, there's a bunch of, you know, girls and, you know, people from this class, you know, that I'm in and, you know, and, everything's going great. You know, we're all laughing. Everybody's having a great time. And they all jump out of the hot tub, like a bunch of mallards. And I'm like, well, what happened? I'm looking around the hot tub. I feel something bump my neck. I look down, my toenails fell off and they're fluttering in a big circle around a hot tub, like a bunch of spinner blades. And so that was my, uh, yeah, that's a story that everybody loves to hear. So, yeah. So I just sat in the hot tub by myself. And yeah, that's it. Wow. 
That's but you still awesome got married, story. so there's hope, you know, for anybody out there. <laughs> yeah, it was meant to be. You know? <laughs> That's right. All right, Sam. There's a lot of people wanting to know your funniest ice story right now. Dude, that's well tough act to follow, first and foremost. I've never lost all my toenails and fingernails in a hot tub with a bunch of my peers before. But uh, as far as, like, crazy things happening that maybe don't get captured is is a lot of stuff breaking and a lot of, like, travel difficulties, whether that be snowmobile or truck or anything. I remember one time, I, I don't know if we were at the Northwest Angle, like, way up north in Canada, and it was super cold, and we were trying to get this truck and this trailer up this hill for like, I don't even know, an hour and a half. And everything was just slicked over and full of ice. And we'd almost take turns and nobody wanted to do it because we get up halfway this big hill and we start to slide back down. And with a trailer, it was like that the whole way. And it seems like we tried that for an hour and a half. And then my buddy that actually owned the truck and trailer, he ended up kind of T-boning it into it. Like we were just excited it didn't happen to us. <laughs> and it's just crazy, crazy stuff with the cold, honestly. As, as far as a a foot story because Jason went off a foot story is uh, something funny that's happened to me. Um, I think it was last year in a permanent shack. Uh, we were running outside getting tip ups and stuff. And like when you're in a permanent shack, you've got basically no, none of your winter gear on. We're running outside in Crocs and stuff. So me and my buddies, we were running outside all in our Crocs getting tip ups. And then we went back in, we went to bed and we put our Crocs cause they were half soaked near the heater. And in the morning, like, I don't know if our heater is blasting or if it's because our Crocs were fully submerged in water. Our Crocs shrunk like four sizes. So we went to go put them on in the morning, go run up and get tip-ups. And they were just like covering the first <laughs> half of our foot. And we're like, what the heck? I thought I had my buddy Murray's on. He's got small feet. But it's, it's, it's just crazy. It's different stuff shrinking and different stuff not working when it's super icy. Probably the craziest stories. Well, at least it wasn't a scary story. I mean, Jason's kind of scary. Considering yeah, Jason's in. is kind of scary. Hypothermia <laughs> and frostbite, and he still survived. And all right, so uh, a couple questions right now uh, that I'm going to kind of group together because I think there's a little bit of a uh, play on it. But how do you target finicky fish? So when you're fighting that 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 fickle bite, do you guys looking to match the hatch, try to go complete terrestrial, complete natural, or what are you guys doing? Are you guys going big, small? You know, and how much how much effort do you guys go into matching the hatch when it comes to this too? Yeah, you know, matching the hatch can be tough. I mean, I think you got to, you know, with your with your jig and cadence and stuff, I think there's something to be said for, you know, sometimes you can use bigger profiles, soft plastics, and imitate a minnow. And there's other times where you're just, you know, just quivering that jig, especially with a spring bottle where it looks more like an insect. But, you know, you look at chartreuse, one of the most popular colors ever, and there isn't anything chartreuse in the whole lake, you know. And so uh, you have to be careful with falling. It can be kind of a crux. I think it maybe almost... Uh, give you some bad ideas or some uh, maybe a bad mentality that doesn't do you any good. I think if there's anything, you know, a lot of times downsizing, a lot of times lighting up line. Um, I think too, you know, even like with walleye fishing, we talked about earlier where I love to use braided line for a lot of my jigging, especially like glide baits, spoons, things like that. On a tough bite, I catch more fish than monofilament. I think what it is, those fish can come up and suck on it and you don't feel them as fast. They don't feel you as fast and they can suck on it a little more. You know, like you kind of bite where, you know, those fish come up and you don't know the fish is there until you lift and it's just a little bit of weight where they're not coming in and punching it. That's definitely a deal where monofilament just seems to catch more fish. Um, you know, panfish, I've seen a lot, you know, whether it's northern Iowa, parts of Illinois, especially with high pressure, uh, even metro lakes where you drop down to one pound test and that makes a big difference and you just downsize. And so that's probably the easiest answer in my mind is downsize, lighter line. And some lakes just have finicky fish. You have lakes where there's low densities of fish and, and really high forage and they're always going to be finicky and you just have to learn to deal with that devil's lake can be that way sometimes with the perch and um that's just the way it is and you have to learn to you know adjust to that and um you know it, it's you know you're just not going to get aggressive fish in some ecosystems because of that but you know some of those ecosystems produce some of the biggest fish because of that so sam i totally agree um line size uh, and just even use a little bit smaller jig. And back to what Jason said about the cadence, especially for like big bluegills and stuff like that. If they're really finicky or it's really tough and you're playing around with a whole bunch of different cadences, sometimes it doesn't hurt just just to tuck that reel and rod right against your chest or your tummy and just let it sit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Let them come up and stare at it. And sometimes it's, it's like a stare off, it, especially with big bluegills. Sometimes they'll be sitting there looking at that jig for – what feels like an hour, but it's, you know, a minute or even two minutes and they'll finally do it. So just 
sometimes really just sitting there and holding it as still as you can. That can be the difference between catching a giant fish and not. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Very good. Um, I'm sure this is something that's plagued ice fishing for, for as long as it's been around. And uh, it's, you know, how do you keep, how do you prevent rods from freezing up? And I, I imagine it's fr- the rods, the reels, the line, everything else. And, you know, one thing that comes to my mind real quick on this one is glycerin. It's something I use in my trap line when I'm running snares and I got to worry about the freeze thaw or freezing drizzle or anything else like that. Do you guys use anything similar to that, like an aftermarket, putting some glycerin on it that doesn't freeze up? If you guys are sucking online, we've already talked about that. You know, what what are some ways? I mean, and this is something you probably even see in the fall, late fall, early spring, you know, when ice is off. Yeah, you know, the big thing is even like when it's cold, you know, I mean, it's a couple things I like to do just in general is, you know, I like run, you know, like chapstick or beeswax on your zippers on your fish house, you know, whether it's a hub or a flip over, you know, you get zippers that freeze and you're yanking on them, you know, a lot of times you know, use, put a bigger loop on with parachute cord that way you can, you know, use them with mittens on. Um, as far as, you know, in the hole, you know, I started using a de-icer this year. That helps a lot. I, I remember back in the day, people would drill a second hole next to the primary hole and put a coffee can full of charcoal in it to keep it open, you know, but that's really time consuming and it kind of marries you to a spot. Uh, uh, you know, if you're going to be fishing a spot all day, I guess that works, but you know, I, you know, I always joke that a lot of my spots aren't that good. I only get a half day out of them when I got to move, you know, and so, uh, the de-icer, is a is a great tool and i you know in when it's really cold out i like to use a lot of braid outside just so i can take a i don't have to take my gloves off with just a mitt and i can shred that ice off fast and you might have to do it you know twice a minute but um you know it's the best thing that i found uh, it uh, i haven't i haven't had any success putting anything on my line that keeps ice off the line um with reels you know i remember back in the day reels had a tendency you know real manufacturers had a tendency to put way too much grease in them and when you get them out in the wintertime and ice, it would just, you know, work terrible. And so, you know, wipe out all the grease in your reels, you know, unless you're buying a reel specifically made for ice fishing. You know, most mm-hmm. of the manufacturers that make reels for ice fishing, you know, go really light or don't use grease on purpose because of that, you know. But, uh, yeah, take the grease out of everything. First time I've ever heard that, to take grease out. Yeah. Yeah, we used to do freezer tests. We'd leave a reel in the freezer for three days. And then if turn the handle and huh. until we get it right, you know, and there's different, you know, uh, low temperature oils and greases yep. and stuff that people use now, but all it is is they're not using as much grease. That's the whole key is wipe them clean. Sam, any tricks you got? Yeah. Besides all that. And we talked about a little bit earlier is that, that weird, cool blue thing, um, the ice defense unit. And just if, if your hole's open and you're not getting fully frozen out, uh, it seems like your line is that much better. So I played with it last year. I really liked it, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to probably run it this year. Awesome. Yeah, that's what I was talking about with the ice defense. I was calling it the icer, but it's yeah, ice the defense. ice defense is so cool, yeah. dude. It just the way yeah. it pulls the water, it pulls the warmer water down and brings it up to the surface. It's You can you can run cool tests on it. There's some cool videos out of it online if you guys are interested in it, and it's it's really it's slick. Right on. And it plugs right into your Vexlar. That's pretty cool, too. Yeah. All right, five more minutes of questions, and then we're going to wrap up and announce the winner. Um, so a question directly for you, Sam, from Richard. Have you ever fished old school, jiggle stick, and a hand auger? Yes, 100%. 100%. My dad, so growing up, my grandpa was really into spearing, and that's like all he did. He's big into panfish in the summer, but if it's wintertime, he's spearing. And my dad, that's all he knew, so he didn't really know anything about, you know, jigging for fish and stuff like that but when we first got into it jiggle stick hand auger in old spear houses and that's what we did and, and it totally works there's actually a lot of really awesome hand augers on the market too for pretty cheap and mm-hmm. it's if, if you have that and a depth finder like a big heavy lead weight and a, and a cork you're good to go you can ice fish pretty yeah easy. i think you still catch fish on that pretty easy especially the spring bobber in shallow water i mean it's all you'd need in a lot of cases yep all right, so this is a question that is first for the last two nights, first time. And Jason, you kind of mentioned earlier that you've targeted before, and I'm sure Sam as well. But uh, what's the best way to target eel pout? You start. <laughs> I I I am not like an eel pout extraordinaire. I'm an eel pout fanatic. I love them. I, if if there was more times throughout the year that I feel like I could target them, I would. Um, but the best way I found is just the biggest, ugliest, grossest glow spoon you can find, 
fill it full of bait and just pound the bottom. And um, if it's just, it seems like right at the end of ice, that's when they kind of start to do their spawning. They get in spawn balls and they'll really start running and eating a lot. And it's, dude, they fight so hard. They taste great. And they're just beautiful and ugly all at the same time. Yeah, they're, they're a fascinating, incredible fish. I mean, I've had them come up. I'm sure you can relate to this. You know, they come up 10, 15 feet off the bottom and hit it. You know, you're like, oh, how does an eel? I just picture it slithering on the bottom like a yeah. snake. I mean, how does an eel pout get 10 feet off the bottom and hit that hard, you know? And they are cool, you know, and especially in northern Minnesota, this Cass Lake, Bemidji, Leech Lake, all through that area. You know, February on into late ice, you know, those offshore, they're kind of a soft, deep, those deep, soft mud humps. You know, sometimes there's rock around them. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that deep offshore structure. I mean, I've caught them five feet long too, but uh, yeah, I mean, they're just, a, they're cool. That's great. All right. Last question, potentially. One piece of equipment you cannot live without going ice fishing outside of a rod reel, you know, your basics, like what's, what's that one extra thing? I mean, is it a Snickers bar? Uh, for me, it'd be a Vexlar. I mean, I, you know, as the old joke, I think years ago, you used to have a commercial, you know, don't, you know, you go home, forget your Vexlar, you turn around and go home and leave the lake. I mean, that's kind of where I'm at. I mean, I, I, uh, yeah, I, I can't, I can't fish without it. That much faith in it. Yeah. And it's fun. I mean, it, you know, it gives you confidence, you know, when you're not, when you don't know what's down there and you don't, you know, you don't know if you're in the wrong spot. I mean, it just the information you get to make decisions is, is invaluable. Mm -hmm. Sam, I'm sure you're going to bring a different perspective. I'll, I'll say two things. First thing, totally agree with Jason. If I, if I drove 20 miles out on to Lake of the woods and we were going fishing and I had a big group of guys, heck, maybe even if I was guiding and we forgot our vex law, Once you've fished at one, it, it seems like you're just fishing blind. But besides that, one thing that over the past couple of years has really just made for a much more enjoyable time on the ice is a good pair of boots, like a good pair of insulated rubber boots. For years, I wore like old Irish setters or different boots that weren't fully waterproof. And then you get a couple of days that you're standing in water, you're in slush. And it, now it seems like a variety of companies, I use clam boots, but Variety companies now make awesome insulated rubber boots, and that's the difference between having dry feet all day and you can chill and stand on the ice and you can have a good time. So, boots and a Vexlar. That's what I'd say. Very good. All right. Uh, let's see here. Frank R is asking Do you keep silkies whole or do you ever trim them? Well, I just started using them this winter, and I've been just using the whole thing on. And, uh, the fish have chewed it up so much that I guess it is kind of trimmed. I got one right here. I mean, you can kind of see it's got a little bit. I don't know if you can kind of see that, but I mean, put it up to the camera there. But I mean, the fish have just, I've probably caught, I don't know, at least, at least 40 fish probably on that, maybe more. And, but yeah, that's a neat thing. You could take a scissors or clippers and trim it down or whatever, but I've been just rigging it on and fishing it. Been working great. Same deal. I've just been rigging on and fishing and it seems like it's worked, but like it doesn't matter any kind of fishing, never rule out modifying anything. So if this fish seems super finicky, it's don't be afraid to cut that down. I think it'll work even better if you cut it down probably. Yeah. We were on aggressive fish and bigger fish. And so we just rocked and rolled with it the way it is, but yeah, get Metro Lake, smaller fish, you know, tougher bite. You could do a lot of different things with it, you know, and rig it up a lot of different ways too. I was rigging up where the the feather or the, the, the strands came out the back on the hook and then there's front strands that came off on the front kind of like that old uh almost like i think lindy made up a foxy jig at one time or maybe it was a oh, blue yeah. fox you know i had the feathers in the front yep. stuff coming out the back or whatever you know yep. and uh but you could you could whack you know wacky rig it you know and have it come off the sides i mean you can do a lot of different things with that as far as how you just how you put it on the hook so very good all right last question here i can't and just for the audience to know uh, Jason and Sobe have agreed, and Sobe, I don't know if we've talked about this, but I'm just volunteering you right now. <laughs> we've but we've <laughs> told you. Uh, we've all lived through that. But in this situation where we've got pages and pages of questions coming in, the social media is blowing up. I know Jason, you had mentioned that you have a pile of questions as well directed directly mm -hmm. towards you. Um, Jason and Sobe will be answering as many of these questions as we can over the next couple of days. Um, so if you feel that you have a fantastic question you want to ask, we still encourage you to post it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yep. You guys have a lot of questions to answer. <laughs> <laughs> That's what All we're right. for. Okay. 100%. We'll answer. 
100%. I appreciate that. Thanks, you guys. Um, last question I'm going to ask is, what is the lightest line you guys are willing to use? I mean, you've already mentioned one pound before. Yeah, and I hate using one pound. I don't use it unless I have to, but there's nothing worse than lifting a fish up to your hand, then you lift another fish up to your hand, and I lift that fish up to my hand, and then it breaks, and then you got to retie. And I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I love three pound tests because it, it feels like it's got the strength of four pound tests. But if you use four pound tests, it feels like weed whacker line, like it's just you know, for, I'm talking for panfish. Mm-hmm. Three pound is just a nice compromise that just works so well. I would say 80% of the time, but every once in a while, I've seen it in Northern Iowa, and I've seen it in Illinois and in other places where if you weren't using one pound test, and I'm talking, and what's amazing to me is I was a sight fisher. I can see the fish stalling out three feet from the jig. You know, how do they know and see from that? I mean, I don't know, but I've seen it where if you weren't using one pound test, you didn't get bit, but I don't use it unless I have to. So uh, usually you don't need it, but I'm not willing to go less than one pound. I think it's a liability at that point. Unless you fish for minnows, you know, but I'm. (laughs) (laughs) Your name's not Brandon Stone. I feel like, I feel like one pound is so scary. Two pound is like, okay. And three pound is like, all right, that's, that is, we're right yeah. in the comfort zone there. So. Yeah. You wrap up in your transducer or anything and you're done, you know? And, and I tell you what, just in the last month, I've lost my, my close up vision where I can't tie knots. Or I, don't know, you know, <laughs> I mean, it just happened. I mean, this summer I was tying knots and all of a sudden it's like stabbing at the eyelid and stuff. I can't see. I'm like, well, it's just, just recently my eyes have gotten worse, you know, right in front of me. So. That's a personal story. Thanks, Jason. <laughs> struggle's real. <laughs> does Shield sell readers? Yes, yeah. yes, we do. They're in the fly fishing department. All right, so we're going to wrap up the questions right now. Uh, thank you, audience, and thank you, Jason and Sam, for, for all the participation. We definitely appreciate it. Uh, the winner of tonight is Brian D. from Grand Forks. So congratulations, right. Brian D. Uh, it's nice. going to be fantastic. You're going to get a uh, Jason Mitchell. So we got it. A different All shelter right. here. Jason Mitchell X200 Thermal Flipover Shelter. With Ooh, that's the uh, big bad one. Yeah. And a scent jacket and bibs plus rods, reels, and tackle. So, wow. congratulations. That's fantastic. I am super jealous. Uh, you're pretty much just set up to go rock and roll. I mean, the only thing you need is what? A Bexar, right? Bexar yeah, and an that house. I mean, that's that house is built for Lake Winnipeg. And so, as soon as that border is open in Grand Forks, Game on. Make a trip. Yep, absolutely. Get some greenbacks. That house is to the bone. That's a big dog. Yep. Yeah. A big bad Warm dog. and big tub. And yeah. Yep. Good. Well, uh, thanks, everybody, for tuning in for the last two nights here for the Shields Ice Virtual Ice Series. This is the first time we've done it. Uh, we did the virtual hunt earlier in the year, and it was went well, so that's why we decided to do it again here. We don't want to ignore the ice fishing world because, I mean, it's live and die up here. I mean, it is literally – it, I mean, I cannot talk. Being a Nebraska boy coming up here and you don't ice fish, you're just weird. I mean, why, are, why don't you ice fish? You know, why aren't you going out to the, the lakes in Detroit area? And it's just incredible how the, the culture up here is incredible. So, and to actually have living legend like Jason Mitchell and Sam Sobey up and coming, I mean, it's fantastic. I mean, it's definitely, definitely really good uh, feedback going on in the conversation. So we appreciate that. Uh, I want to make sure we thank and give a lot of praise to Clam for, for hosting this and for providing the, the prize packages. We appreciate the partnership. Uh, great product, so all the winners are going to get fantastic items. Uh, again, super jealous on that one. Please make sure you guys are going to Shields, uh, at Shields Outdoors on Facebook and Instagram to follow for more content as well. Uh, any questions you guys post on there, we're going to kind of have a team together and kind of help out with Sam and uh, Jason as well to get those questions answered for you. Uh, let's see here. And a special special note i got to say is because we have a big, big night coming up here. And if you have kids at home, we have another virtual event with Santa coming up next Tuesday. So we will have Santa, and make sure you guys are going to shields.com slash Santa to get registered for that. It's going to be very excited. Everybody in the, the studio here is very excited for this. So we want to say appreciate everything else. Uh, we got an ice fishing sale going on right now in store and on shields.com. So if you have not loaded up already, highly encourage you to. The ice is building. Jason, we talked about this yesterday. Uh, even though it could be 40 degrees, we're still building ice. Uh, so good luck, everyone. Appreciate everybody's time. Appreciate everybody's participation. And good luck this year. Thank you, everybody. Yeah, thank thank you. you, everybody. Good luck this year. You just heard our recorded segment with Jason Mitchell and Sam Sobey during the second night of our virtual ice series. We're really excited about these series because they're a great way to present information 
to people in the in kind of the current times we're having and it's a great way to really be interactive with our audience they uh they ask so many questions on this on this live chat window and it's super cool to just be able to interact and be able to really answer the questions that that the viewers are asking out there i don't know about you but i learned a ton of information during this segment and I have never been quite as entertained by all of the combination of information and just funniness that Sam Sobe really brought to it. It was, it was very cool to see Sam and Jason interacting with each other, both super knowledgeable, super passionate about ice fishing, but yet, you know, very different people at the same time. So. It's cool that uh, that we can bring two people together that appeal to kind of different audiences and, and make people realize that whether you're younger or older or just getting into fishing or have been doing it for years and years and years, you can still be uh, you can still be entertained and gain a lot of really valuable information through these seminars. So. We also gave away a really awesome $2,500 prize package from CLAM. And the only way to be eligible for that is to register for these virtual events. To register for these events, just stay tuned, stay in touch with Shields Outdoors, Facebook and Instagram, and we will let you know when these events are happening. They're, uh, they're becoming more and more prevalent and we're, you know, we're having a lot of fun with these and we hope you are too. So uh, look out for, for future segments coming up. You never know what we're going to be talking about next. And with that, we want to thank you all for listening and see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Shields Outdoors podcast. Stay tuned for future segments and visit our social media pages, Shields Outdoors on Facebook and Instagram for daily updates.